we look at particularly treatment for a lot of autoimmune condition, the use of endogenous glutocorticoids. So what does that mean? The use of things like prednisone, which is in itself a cortisol hormone, right? So it is an adrenal, basically an adrenal hormone, is critical often in regulating severe disease, particularly when there's a uptick in it. So things like rheumatoid arthritis, we often use things like prednisone or even Crohn's colitis, lots of those diseases. We may prescribe that, not me, somebody else, to actually acutely drive down the inflammatory response. And blocking of cortisol production, if we completely block it, will actually result in a flare-up of disease. It's not a whole lot of one in deference to the other. You need both. So stress may affect the immune system, either directly or indirectly, really through those nervous system endocrine and neurotransmitter transmissions, right? It's through the hormones themselves. Welcome to This Functional Life, a show for women just like you, who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, purpose. We're going to deconstruct norms, uncover your deepest desires, harness your physical and mental health, and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what you want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking complex science and making it easy to understand and integrate into daily life. Join the journey to make this chapter the best ever. Let's get thriving. Welcome back to This Functional Life. So today I'm going to continue to talk about autoimmunity and the underlying root cause of autoimmunity and the root cause of flares. Today, I want to talk specifically around stress. You know, I would say stress is one of those underserved and underpaid attention to uh, triggers for all, all, all diseases. There are some research out there that if you look at the data that suggests that somewhere, depending on which research you look at, between 78 to 87 percent of all doctor's visits are actually are really grounded in stress. So before we get into the autoimmune conversation, let's talk about what stress really means. So stress first can be both biological, psychological, and chemical. And at at all times, it's going to be all of those to some degree. So stress, we often think of as our experience of the feeling of stress. So the feeling of stress can be described as feeling anxious, wound up, keyed up in fight or flight, worried overexcited or or overwhelmed can also be another one of those feelings, right? So we get this feeling of stress. Stress is also a fight or flight response, one of these very rapid experiencing of, of either exactly that fight, fight, or freeze, right? So it, when we're stressed, we may have a short acute, acute stressor that may be fight, you know, fight for my life, fight the tiger, take over, kill, flight, run for my life, or freeze because I don't know what to do, so I just freeze. So you play possum. So that is an acute stressor, right? So when we look at stress, we have to look at stress also within the confines of prolonged and protracted stress. So one of the things that I thought was very interesting about the research that came out from the DNA company research, and we covered a little bit when we talked with Kashif Khan on our um, podcast about the DNA company, their research and what they were looking at. And I know we talked about it when I reviewed my own DNA. We talked a lot about the stress response and the 
experience of burnout, right? And burnout is described as prolonged protracted stress and particularly repeated sessions of prolonged protracted stress. And what we know is some of us are genetically more wired to be able to handle those than others. And there's genes like co-methyltransferase and adrenal um, receptor genes and other ones that will either set up your capacity to handle that sort of environment better than others. So we have stressors and, and much of the stressors that we experience are the, the ones that we would feel more emotionally, mentally, physically. We might be overwrought, like I said, and feel emotionally stressed, or we might feel intellectually burdened, or maybe our brain doesn't work that well. We can't, our cognitive function starts to decline a little bit because we just can't think straight. You know, and other people, depending on their genetics, may actually kind of laser in. I spoke to a good friend um, actually today who's actually a surgeon and picked a very difficult surgical specialty, like very few people in the world that do it. And she said in that moment, she's like, when I'm in that moment, that's two to three minutes, 20 minutes of extreme pressure. I'm so hyper-focused and, I, and I'm just so good in that moment. And then it's over, right? Not that the rest of it going into it isn't intense, but that degree of just intensity in short term, she laser-focused. Where there's other people that if they were put into the same position where somebody's life literally hangs in the balance based on what they do, they couldn't handle that level of stress. They're wired differently. So, so stress is both physical, psychological, and emotional, right? So the physical side can be, you know, over-exercising. It could be taxing your body through extreme measures. Like if we even look at some of the, the military things that we do to train people to do what no one else will do, like BUDS training for SEALs. BUDS training for SEALs teaches somebody to surpass and ignore what is a natural human response to stop, run, fight, or flee. So stress can be mutated or blunted or adjusted by our own conditioning. So depending on your conditioning, your experience of stress may be different based on what's really happening. And so stress can be physical. The physical body can be stressed and, and struggling. Even having poor sleep, like I said, over-exercising or even eating a diet that is highly processed, lots of sugar, skipping meals, all those things, if they're not well thought out, well planned and metabol you know, metabolically balanced for what you're trying to do, can cause undue physical stress on the body, which is ultimately biochemical stress. So. When we look at stress, we have to look at it within the context of all those things. We have other environmental things like the toxins and lack of hormones and all those other things that may also contribute to that stress. But stress in itself is a problem. And every disease state, every disease state that you can look at, regardless of what it is, has a relationship to stress. So the more stressed you are, the more likely you are to turn on and amplify negative genetic patterns. So if you have cardiovascular risk in your family, it's going to be worse or Alzheimer's or cancer. Um, you're going to amplify those potential risks. Now, on the flip side, if we can do things to drive stress down, and that's by driving the parasympathetic side of your body, the rest, relax, and restore side, then you can sort of mitigate that. And that you know involves lots of different things from how you eat to sleeping to meditation to exercise. There's a million methods. And we've talked about a lot of them on this show. But what I want to do is now that we have that sort of primer on what stress is, I want to talk specifically about the relationship of stress to autoimmunity. Because I can tell you after 18 years of practice and tens of thousands of patients within our clinic, 
uh, universally, especially if they have autoimmune conditions, a stressful period preceded or was exactly happening at the time they were diagnosed. When they flare, stress was always a part of it. And in many cases, that was the only thing that they could really pinpoint that they could knowingly say, I had a stressful period and therefore this happened. So stress is a big contributor to the actual onset and also the flaring of the immune system. So like we've already discussed, you know, autoimmunity is a lack of tolerance. It's a lack of tolerance to ourself. It's the, it's the immune system literally turning on the body and saying, I need to go tear up parts of myself because I now think that it is foreign. And we know that there's genetic factors, which we're going to cover. I haven't covered that yet, but I promise you I will. And we know that there's environmental factors like toxins. We know that there's hormones. We already identified that being a woman just makes you at a higher risk. And then there's some other immunological factors, foods, even vaccines and, 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 and viral infections, bacterial infections, all kinds of things that may stimulate the immune system or tax the immune system can be triggers for that. And we're going to cover the ones that we haven't covered. But uh, physiological and, and physical stress has absolutely been implicated in studies. And this has been demonstrated both in humans and in animals. And many studies found that there's a high proportion, up to 80% of patients reported uncommon emotional stress before disease onset. So these, see, these are actual studies. So this isn't me just sort of saying anecdotally, hey, we see this in our clinic. Many, many studies looking at very large um, meta-analysis show that uncommon emotional stress was there before the onset of disease. So stress in itself is not an illness, but is a state. And that long-term stress causes serious health problems. So let's, let's talk about what, you know, what contributes to that. So like I said, your, your current stressful state, but even childhood traumatic stress increases your likelihood of autoimmunity as an adult. You know, so I had that conversation with Amy Apegian when we were talking about the biology of stress and the biology of the stress response. And there's a, a significant amount of childhood trauma that leads to a repression of these experiences biologically in the body that need to be released. So even just having childhood trauma from a stressful standpoint increases the likelihood of autoimmunity and other diseases. And then if we look at life stresses, so things like losing a job, losing a loved one, a parent or a spouse are also associated with greater likelihood of onset. However, a lot of the studies that we look at aren't necessarily very rigorous, meaning that, that they are often an epidemiological. They're not necessarily case controlled and all these other things. So there may be a little bit of wavering there, but we do know that, that even those stressful periods occur. And so let's talk about you know, the definition of stress. So I explained some of it, but Hans Selye's is the first to describe stress. And so it was really a nonspecific response of the body to any demand made upon it. So stress can be both good or what we, what we would call eustress, or it could also be bad. And it really is that negative adaptive or uh, maladaptive stress where we respond to bad and then we keep responding to bad and especially unable to to control that sort of over-the-top stress response is where we have a problem because what we know is that the body wants homeostasis. What we want is to be balanced. We want to be in a, in a position of sort of equilibrium and stress obviously throws that equilibrium, you know, off. 
And so the bad stress is distress. The good stress is eustress. You know, unfortunately, that's also been a, a, you know, a situation where it's probably been oversimplified. So when we look at that, so stress, let's talk about psychological stress, because I think this is the easiest for people to understand. So psychological stress, major psychological stress is a hormonal response to factors that are happening. So it's a hormonal response to factors that are happening. So that could be my mental, emotional experience of a particular event. You know, maybe I'm caring for somebody that's not well, and maybe maybe I'm caring for an ailing parent, right? Something that I think most of us in this generation are experiencing if we haven't already experienced. And the stress of managing that and everything else will result in physiological stress. The experience of stress, the the actual body experience of stress is a neuroendocrine hormone response. And so if we look at that, we have both, you know, cortisol, which is your prolonged protracted stress response, the cortisol hormone, which keeps the stress response going. We have adrenaline made by the adrenals, which is your short fight or flight. And then we also have a response of epinephrine, norepinephrine in the brain, which are are excitatory and things like acetylcholine, We have other things like substance P, vasoactive intestinal peptide, glucagon, insulin, and thank you, COVID, no one would have ever known what these words were, a cytokine response that dysregulates the control between our hypothalamus and the pituitary, which are, think of those as director and conductor in the brain to tell the hormones what to do. So they talk to all of our endocrine glands like the thyroid and the adrenals and the ovaries. And when we trigger all of that cytokine balance and all of these other hormones like vasoactive um, intestinal peptides, which changes digestive function, and adrenaline and epinephrine and norepinephrine, what it does is it tells the director and the conductor sort of a mixed message. And so our body gets dysregulated. And when that dysregulation of that sympathetic nervous system, so we get in this fight or flight and, and prolonged protracted stress response, the ultimate problem is is we see disorders in immune function because there's a mediation between the neuroendocrine system the stress response and our immune system and when we have this overproduction of neuropeptides and cytokines it starts to change the role of some cells one of them is called a th2 cell or type 2 helper t cell that maintains and controls inflammation And then we also have Th1 cells, which are called helper T1 cells. And then we, between the two of them, they maintain homeostasis. And Th2 responses present an important mechanism for inflammation and tissue damage. So chronic stress and or even massive depression could lead to decreased defense mechanisms for our immune system, decreased responses to vaccines. So Vaccines, whether you love them, hate them, or whatever, our body's not as capable of responding appropriately to vaccines. Viral susceptibility, also it's been implicated in malignancy, and it can also contribute to autoimmune reactions. So again, let's talk about what those typical stressors are. So illness of a family member or death of a close family member, divorce or separation, alcohol, drug addiction, yourself or anybody else in the family. Um, just having discourse or problems with your partner, you know, arguments all the time, jail time, legal troubles, um, changing your residence or just moving, even if it's good, it could still be stressful. 
major change in sleeping patterns, um, changes in social activities. I don't know, two years of being stuck in your home, that could do it. Worsening of political situations. So the more you pay attention to the TV and the news, the more likely you are to possibly dysregulate your neuroendocrine system because it is stressful. Climate change. Things like humidity, temperature change, too cold, too hot, too humid actually is hard on the body, especially if your body is not adapted to it. Noise, vibration, lighting, changes in hygiene. So if you're used to being in a really clean environment and all of a sudden you're in an environment that's not, that can be damaging. When we look at work, like loss of job or job insecurity or the feeling that you don't know if you're going to have a job or if you have problems with your colleagues or your manager or supervisor, feeling under-promoted, under-respected, under-achiever, all of those things that you might experience at work, like being left behind, um, not being an acknowledged for the work that you do is, is definitely going to do that. Shift work, right? My husband's a firefighter. He works 24 hours at a time. That in itself is stress-inducing and more likely to cause dysregulation. And even things like new technology. So I can tell you after having spent a lot of time this last year with my mother dealing with some health issues and she had to depend more and more on technology and she is technology um, void. She doesn't know how to use her cell phone. She's never owned a computer. And for her, it's really, really stressful. And for me, it's very, very stressful because I have to try and help somebody that doesn't understand the very basics of a lot of the technology we take for granted. And even some good things like getting married, childbirth, pregnancy, having an outstanding achievement, you know, going back to school, whatever those things are, any swing in either side is going to be an issue, right? So we've talked a lot about stress already in this program. And so what I want to talk specifically about is now is that activation of the stress response system that really is that close relationship between the hypothalamus, again, that's the director of the show, the pituitary, the conductor that tells the orchestra, which is all the different glands that control stress and sex hormones and thyroid, and the adrenals, which respond to stress, and the sympathetic nervous system. So when we look at that and we look at some of the research, the interesting thing is if we look at particularly treatment for a lot of autoimmune condition, the use of endogenous glutocorticoids. So what does that mean? The use of things like prednisone, which is in itself a cortisol hormone, right? So it is an adrenal, basically an adrenal hormone is critical often in the, in regulating severe disease, particularly when there's a tick uptick in it. So things like rheumatoid arthritis, we often use things like prednisone or even Crohn's colitis, lots of those diseases, we may prescribe that, not me, somebody else, to actually acutely drive down the inflammatory response. And blocking of cortisol production, if we completely block it, will actually result in a flare-up of disease. It's not a whole lot of one in deference to the other. You need both. So stress may affect the immune system, either directly or indirectly, really through those nervous system endocrine and neurotransmitter transmissions, right? It's through the hormones themselves. And when we look at psychoneuroimmunology, which is, is a growing field of really looking at this sort of relationship between the stressors and the onset or progression of disease. So we really see in all diseases, particularly autoimmune, it's this disturbance of a bi-directional interaction between that nervous system, cross-talking with the immune system, and then the endocrine system is, is sort of this, this sort of trifecta that the communication there sort of gets defouled up. And so when we look at the, the stressors, we really see that 
stress can activate that acute phase response. And so when we, when we see stress, right? So stress in the acute phase, that fight or flight, in the acute phase, it activates a part of the immune system, which is called the innate inflammatory response. And so the inflammatory response contained within that can induce inflammation. So the fact that stress, inflammation, and the immune system are involved actually even in a single cell shows there's a really intimate relationship between that response. Let's take a little bit of a deeper dive into Th1, Th2, and actually Th17. I just want to do a little bit of a primer here because we, I will go back and explain these immune responses in much more detail. So your Th1 cells, which are T helper cells, are cells that drive a cellular immunity. So that is a first-line defense inside the cell that fights viruses and other pathogens that actually enter the cells, even parasites. Um, Th1 cell activity also gets rid of cancer cells, and it can also trigger delayed type hypersensitivity reactions as well. Your, your IgM, so your SEAL team, if you remember that from our uh, immunity and food sensitivity conversation, we have a SEAL team, which is the immunoglobulin M. Cellular immunity actually initiates that activity, so they're the first responder to infection of virus to, so to get out there and fight. And then we also have these delayed hypersensitivity things that may happen too, which is part of your IgG, which is the army, which is a little more of a response that happens later on. Th2 drives the humoral immunity, and this is supposed to fight invaders outside the cell, bacterial infections, and other things like that. So a lot of times people will claim that a person is either Th1 or Th2 dominant, and that's an oversimplification because they actually work together. Our immune system needs both of these to respond to infections. And so essentially, when we're looking at that, we need both to work. And autoimmune conditions can have both a stimulatory Th1, which is more common, but Th2 can also play a role. And then we also have Th17 cells. Now, essentially, how does your body decide which one of these T helper cells get made, right? That's a pretty good question. We have a T cell that gets made that is what we call naive. So it doesn't know which one it wants to be. And based on the exposure that happens, the naive T cell then gets made into a Th1, a Th2, or also one called Th17. And even recently, we've identified a Th22. And so when we look at Th17 cells, Th, uh, Th17 cells actually affect how many T regulatory cells are, are happening. So when we look at how your body responds, it depends on which systems are responding. So elevated Th1 has obviously a relationship with autoimmunity. Elevated Th2 also has a relationship with autoimmunity. And also Th17 has a relationship with autoimmunity. So the truth is, is any one of these being out of balance is going to do it. Chronic stress will weaken the immune system, but stimulate particularly Th1 pathways. Um, so we're looking at that from a research standpoint, all the way from like autoimmunity to uh, cancer. And so when we look at how it's really happening, we, we really know that there's these associations, particularly with stress-related activities. And even your Th2 relationship, which is Th2 is that humoral immunity. So that's the stuff outside the cell. And when Th2 gets involved, we make that IgE antibody, which is your Marines, shock and awe, blow a bunch of stuff up, that sort of hyper 
histamine response because it drives uh, some cells that are called mast cells and dendritic cells, which cause your body to make a ton of um, acinophils and that histamine response. And so we we have relationships with those things like eczema has a relationship with with you know type two reactions. So it's never just one piece, right? Even Graves' disease and Sjogren's has a relationship with Th2 dominance. And sometimes they have a little bit of both, particularly like Graves' disease can be both Th1 and Th2. So it's not that you don't want these to respond. We want them to be balanced. And again, like I said, it's, it's a significant problem when we have a lot of chronic stress because it's going to cause dysregulation of these immune cells and how they respond to any, any incoming pathogen. And then they start to assume that body parts are part of that problem. And, and truthfully, Th1 passes to Th2. And then what happens is we start to see this then production of antibodies, right? So during stress, the activation of that hypothalamic pituitary axis leads to an increased secretion of the glucocorticoids, so things like cortisol and the catecholamines, norepinephrine, epinephrine, adrenaline, acetylcholine, to maintain homeostasis. And then those stress hormones end up acting on antigen-presenting immune cells, right? So remember, those are the doorman at the door checking everybody to see if they belong inside or not. So an antigen-presenting cell is looking for what is foreign and what is not, and they have a long list of amino acids that identify everything from your joints to your tissues to your thyroid tissue. And if they find something that doesn't belong in the body, virus, bacteria, or parasite, or something else, a food particle, then they go, hey, we need to tell the body to get rid of that. And so when we see this antigen-presenting cell, it may influence the differentiation and potentiate helper T cells away from that normal sort of innate immune response to respond short-term and then turn off and then move towards a amplified cytokine response. What happens is these stress hormones amplify the antigen-presenting cell activity, so they piss off the doorman, and then it moves towards this over-amplification of cytokine expression and then antibody production. And this is what we see in many of our autoimmune conditions. Now, some of the other ones can be Th17, and they can be other, other what they call phenotypes. But many of the autoimmune dis- diseases are largely dependent on the balance of this Th1 versus Th2 immune response. So a predominantly Th1 mediated immune activity may promote things like the breakdown and destruction of thyroid cells leading to thyroid um, damage in Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And then sometimes Th2, you know, the cytokine response can actually induce or sort of push B lymphocytes, which is another cell, antibody, you know, producing cells that may go damage uh, TSH receptors on the thyroid, causing things like Graves' disease. So what this means is, and why I'm using Hashimoto's is because it's really prevalent, but it helps create this understanding. It is not one over the other. So being Th1 dominant is not better than being Th2, right? Both of them can cause autoimmune conditions, and it's really the dysregulation of those that become part of the problem, and prolonged protracted stress obviously plays part of that role, and especially, obviously, even an acute stress can too, but it seems to be 
this reoccurrence of stress that often seems to be a player as well. So I hope I hope I was able to explain that in a way that really makes sense, you know, and share that in a way that really makes sense. And so if you look at the disease associations with this, pretty much every autoimmune condition has been studied, RA, MS, obviously Hashimoto's thyroiditis, celiac disease, you name it. And so when we look at the role of stress, the big thing to remember is that our body is looking for homeostasis. We are not designed to live in a prolonged, protracted, chronic stress response. We are not designed to constantly be, you know, pushing the envelope to almost fight or flight. So when we do that, we not only destroy our hormones, age more rapidly, destroy our sleep, destroy our metabolic function, but what it starts to do is heavily dysregulate the immune system and start to impair the natural handshake between our different types of immune system response to help us respond to infection and turn on and off this inflammatory response. And so in every situation, we want to reduce the stressors. You know, so because that's going to drive these higher and higher and higher inflammatory responses, um, you know, and so those those things are important. So that becomes behavioral. So at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we're doing things. So the take home message is stress is really important. And it is one of the biggest things that probably induce autoimmunity. And I've used this analogy before. So if you are a bucket. And all the different causes of autoimmunity are different fosses leaning over that bucket. And if each one's getting turned on a little bit, oh, I'm a perimenopausal female. Oh, I have uh, recently gotten a virus. I have um, maybe abnormal periods and I'm going through perimenopause and I'm starting to get estrogen dominance. And then I add acute stress on top of it. Now I've taken that stress faucet and I've cranked it on really hard. And that fills the bucket more rapidly. So it's never, ever usually just one thing. Like I said before, it's always going to be this combination of these things. But I can tell you for sure, stress is almost always present. And so if I could give you a pill and get rid of your stress, like where you didn't feel it and everything went back to normal, believe me, I'd be hawking that pill like nobody's business. Because at the end of the day, you know, everybody wants less stress. And, and unfortunately, most of us, myself included, would like to experience less physical, emotional, psychological, biochemical stress, but we don't want to change to do it. We don't want to have to change our lifestyle. We don't want to change how we eat, how we exercise, how we interact, how much we sleep. But I can tell you, no matter how many pills you take, no matter how many adaptogens, teas, whatever you're doing, you have to do the lifestyle pieces. You cannot fix a stress response problem without working on it. And believe me, I've tried because I'm type A. I really don't want to slow down. It's not my nature. And so you have to take home and do all those other things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is protect your sleep. I protect my sleep as if I'm a Navy SEAL fighting my way out of the most dangerous environment ever, because I know now that that's going to have the biggest determinant for me on the quality of my life going forward. And so, you know, that one's a, a non, non-negotiable for me. I am very particular about my sleep and I will forgo things if I know it's really going to mess up my sleep, particularly more than one time. Like I'm not going to go do something for a week long if I know I'm not going to get good sleep um, because the, the payback on it is too far. You know, exercising adequately, but not too much and also not too little. Exercise has a J-shaped curve. You take people off the couch and you get them exercising, their all-cause mortality goes down. But if you drive somebody a little too far on the other side and they're over-exercising, it actually starts to curve up and increase mortality. 
even exercising too much can be stressful. Work and relationships and all those other things, like if it means getting counseling or coaching or other stuff, you've got to find ways to find coping mechanisms to help you work with the life that you live. Because often we have to get well in an environment that very well makes us sick. And that's the challenge that, you know, we can't say, gosh, you know what? It's really hard for me to have children and a spouse and take care of parents. So I'm just not going to do that anymore because it's hard for me, right? (laughs) It's, you know, not how we're mostly wired, but it's also not feasible. So we have to take the things that we can do and do them. Once you're doing all those things and eating regularly, and if you're using intermittent fasting, you're doing it in a way that doesn't drive your stress chemistry. And if you need to know more about that, it's time to find a functional person like the people in my clinic that can help you look at your adrenals and, and your function and find out what's the appropriate fasting for you. Because I know it's super fascinating, but you can fast in the wrong way and really mess up your adrenals. Once you're doing those lifestyle things, that's when the things like the adrenal adaptogenic herbs, the rhodiola, the ashwagandha, the ginseng, the licorice root can be helpful. That's when doing like adrenal glandulars can be helpful. That's when doing even neurotropics can be helpful to help focus the brain. But they can't in themselves make up for what you're doing to your life. And like I said, believe me, I've tried. I do. I I like to play hard all the time. That's what I'm wired to do. But I recognize that I have to take care of myself. And so, and so you have to know that. So now you've got some tools that you can do. You know, and there there are definitely some products that are are good. You're many, many of them out there. My friend Annika Becca that um, I had on my very first show, as a matter of fact, talked about her product Mighty Maca, and Mighty Maca is an amazing, uh, amazing adaptogenic herb, both for the sex hormones and the adrenals. Um, we have several products we use within our hormone reset to help reset adrenal function that are a combination of rhodiola, ashwagandha, ginseng, licorice root. Um, so there's all those things that can help. But again, you have to be doing those other pieces. And if you don't have help doing that, this is the time to look for help because there's no better time than the present because this is not something that is going to get better on its own if we're not fixing it. I want to thank you so much for listening to this functional life and especially this episode about stress and autoimmunity. And I hope you found it interesting and even more than interesting and entertaining that you actually found nuggets of truth and, and understanding that I can help you take action because that's that's why I do the show. I, I want to make sure that people get actionable information and understand the underlying mechanisms and they're able to actually use it in everyday life. That's That's where my heart sings. And so I hope you found that really, really valuable. And if you found this show to be valuable, what I would love, love, love is if you would share it with a friend. And if you really liked it, please give me some feedback, good and or bad. Leave me a review, you know, because reviews do two things. A, number one, they give me feedback and I read them and I love every single one of them. And number two, they also help other people find this podcast and and help me share the message. And so thank you so much for following me on This Functional Life and we'll talk next week. Thank you so much for tuning into This Functional Life. You are why I'm here and I am so very grateful. You're here for a reason. I celebrate your commitment to claiming your youthful energy and stepping into this next phase of life, feeling vibrant, healthy, and powerful. I am so proud of you. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD 
And if you want a chance to share your story with our tribe or find out more about working with my team, you can sign up at chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. Again, that's chatwithbetty.com slash podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.